it's a challenge for us sometimes because we look at our audience and you're like, well, it's quite diverse, right? But I also think that's a bigger opportunity and, and speaks to sort of the agelessness of the brand and the product. Something can be appropriate for a 25-year-old that's also appropriate for a 55-year-old, and it's more about the spirit of the customer. This is The Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Hello, this is Mordi Singer, and it's my pleasure to have Ali Egan, the CEO of Cynthia Rowley, on the safari today. I think what she has done with Cynthia to completely reinvent and animate their brand in the last few years has been really remarkable from a direct-to-consumer focused approach to really embracing the lifestyle of surf culture and infusing that into her brand. Um, I think uh, there's many lessons to learn that it's never too late to reinvent things. And uh, I hope you stick around. Ali, thank you so much for joining me today on the safari. Thank you for having me. So um, how long have you been uh, in the role at Cynthia Rally? I've been with Cynthia for two years now. Two years. And, and is this your first uh, CEO role? It is. How's it going? You know, it, it's different every day. <laughs> Could have never imagined it. but <laughs> Yeah, well, I can imagine and as we sit here, and I won't say the C word, but, you know, as we sit here today at this recording, there's a lot of weird things happening in the world. And yeah. so I'm sure that's, um, it, you know. Uh, it, it's definitely strange being at the top. There's right? no precedent for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. So listen, um, for those who don't know Cynthia Rowley, um, I'm a big fan of what you guys have done because yeah. the brand has gone through quite a significant transition uh, over the last few years, particularly picking up uh, digital native uh, type uh, resonance with yep. consumers, um, very into the whole surfing side and, and bohemian lifestyle right. uh, side as well that I'd love to get into later on. And I thought maybe we would talk about um, obviously the background of the brand and mm -hmm. your a bit of your background, how you became the CEO yeah. of this company, um, but also talk about the evolution of brands because this brand has had, a, I guess, a reincarnation and it seems to be really working. Right, and um, and I really am interested in that because everyone likes to think that, you know, it's uh, some some companies are one trick ponies. And I think you guys are a really good example of that. And I'd love to sort of get the listeners to understand, uh, who, you know, how you're sort of saying things and acting a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at the end, we'll talk a little bit about what you see on the horizon and the future. And we'll have to look, look in your crystal ball and you can... You can Help us all. Sounds that. like a fun journey. Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> um, so, 
tell us a little bit about yourself and and then separately about the Cynthia Rowley brand. Yeah, so um, I have a bit of a less traditional fashion background. Um, I actually started my career in finance, investment banking, and then uh, was- You were a reformed banker like me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then worked uh, as a consumer retail investor with L. Catterton, um, so that's where really where I got exposed to sort of working directly with businesses in a in a deeper way. Mel Capson, um, the private equity firm. Private equity firm, yep. Um, and so uh, from there, I really got you know a personal passion for wanting to be on the other side of the table and and leading and creating um, great brands. And so went to business school and um, spent most of my time between business school and joining Cynthia at Estee Lauder Company. So not in fashion and beauty, mm-hmm. um, working uh, for Origins, Clinique, and La Mer. So, you know, high and low brands and uh, cross digital marketing, e-commerce, um, product marketing, what have you. And um, I got introduced to Cynthia and obviously I thought she has such a wonderful brand that really resonates with multiple generations of women. And, and how long and- has she been at this? You know, she doesn't ever like to say, so I'm not going to say for sure. Uh, <laughs> Just um, a few years. She likes to only look ahead, but yeah. no, but you know, she wants, she's CFDA award winner, you know, from years ago. She, she's a renowned name in New York design. So yeah, but it's worth noting. I think even though she may not like to say that, I think yeah. it's really, for me, it's fascinating. And I think it's a really wonderful testament to uh, a brand reemerging as something that feels so young and so new, yes. yet it's yet it's been around and been I th- reinvented. I think it's both about consistency and always looking forward. You know, like you you have your brand tenants, which you stand for, um, so you're not random, but you're also not you're you're thinking about the customer and changing with her rather than sort of staying in one standing standing still, if you would. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I got introduced to Cynthia and, uh, you know, she was going through this problem of, I really think I need to take my business more digital. And I was like, well, yes, you definitely do. And, and so it was a really exciting opportunity for me to come in and partner with an amazing brand, amazing creator, designer, and just help put the right business model behind what is already a, like a great brand. So, and so today describe the businesses and, and categories of, of product that you're in. Yeah. So, um, we, you know, we're most well known for our dresses and ready to wear. So, um, other tops and bottoms, but, um, you know, our other big primary business now is our surf and swim, right? So, um, and that was started, uh, probably about eight years ago and originally through a collaboration actually with, um, with Roxy Quicksilver. Yep. Um, How many years ago was that? Um, it was about eight, ten years yeah. ago. Yeah, because it's amazing. I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, the, now they're sort of everywhere. But there, are some some of them are wetsuits, and then there are mm-hmm. some some uh, uh, swimwear that is some. I think sometimes made of neoprene or some similar type of yep. fabric. Yep. Um, amazing designs, and any you know very fashionable surfer woman or girl uh, tends to have one in their kit bag, right? I mean, exactly. it's anywhere in the world, any, any surfer, and, and which is now becoming obviously quite a thing. Yes. Surfing is no longer, um, forgive the pun, backwater uh, sport. I mean, yeah. it's really front and center and it's sort of a lifestyle sport. And you guys have really, you know, again, sort of surfing that wave, I guess. Right. Well, I think it comes from authenticity, right? So the way it even got started, it's a great story. So Cynthia was literally in Montauk on her board um, paddling along and the um, then 
brand manager of Quicksilver, you know, kind of swam up to her and was like, you're the designer of Cynthia Rowley, right? Yeah. Um, And, you know, he was like, you know what the weird thing is, is I have surfers doing design for me, but you're a designer who surfs. Like, maybe you should design for me. Um, And it's that principle of like really bringing um, beautiful design to things where, you know, they're boring or ugly, but don't have to be. Um, So that's sort of like the principle and the inspiration behind it. But then I think the bigger thing, while why people, you know, even outside of the surf community care is like, it just like brings a smile to your face. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's so different. And it's like, why can't we do beautiful, fun things um, that are also still functional? So, you know, all of our wetsuits are fully functional. Like I'm, I'm like a sucker for cold water. I cannot handle it, but like they keeps me warm in the cold water. So that's such a great story. And so, but how do you feel that that initiative, which is now, as you said, eight years old uh, is one of the impetuses. I mean, we'll get to talking a little bit about digital native in a second, but the spirituality side or the mindfulness and this young consumer looking for meaning in their brands, the fact that you, maybe she just, you know, luck is the reward of the skillful, but yeah. you know, that, that meeting, that serendipitous meeting happened in Montauk in, in the water. Um, it, don't you think it imbued the brand with some kind of um, nomadic spirit that is, that is unusual and that you guys managed yeah. to really catch on to? Yeah. I mean, I actually think it stems from Cynthia herself. Like, you know, she, she doesn't, uh, she's not tied to the past ways, as I was saying before. And I think that that is always got her looking ahead and it's what has helped us as a brand, you know, stay relevant and grow relevant to, you know, different customers. You know, when I came in, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is like a more mature brand because, you know, Cynthia's a little older and, you know, has been around for a little while and that's, that's not the case. You know, actually most of our customers are under 44 and a lot are even under um, 34. So, you know, we're super proud of that. You know, it's a challenge for us sometimes because we look at our audience and you're like, well, it's quite diverse. Right. But I also think that's a bigger opportunity and, and speaks to sort of the agelessness of the brand and the product. Something can be appropriate for a 25 year old. That's also appropriate for a 55 year old. And it's more about the spirit of the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you try to dig into that customer, how do you message, therefore, a customer that is a, a psychographic versus a demographic? How do you yeah. get into the marketing channels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it be mobile uh, marketing or digital in other ways, or even, you know, literally trying to get them uh, in co- into co-op marketing with, with, uh, with other platforms you may be on? What is it that you do to try and target that different yeah. consumer by age if at all different because of this because of this the simple psychographics that they share yeah right it's a challenge right as a brand at the brand level you always need to be consistent right so you're not like looking random like what does this brand stand for what are, what are they doing so um you know from a brand level we just create you know beautiful overall inspiring content but then we think about you know, I always call it like our version of personalization, although I sort of also hate that word. And it's like, it's partnering with people, whether that be influencers or wholesalers or, um, or temporary, uh, collaborations, et cetera, that really hit some of our audiences and allow us to, you know, speak to them or, or take our same style and make it more relevant to their lifestyle, whether they live in like New York or Texas or, you know, Chicago, what have you. And, um, it's that, it's, it's not even changing the product. It's just changing how it's displayed so that someone can be like, yeah, that's how I would wear that. And that's what really like, you know, will inspire me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so just getting into the, 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 
the thick of the business, as it were. So yeah. were you there when she made the shift to say, look, I, I want to be a digital first or a direct-to-consumer first yes. brand? And so you guys did that together. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that transition, because obviously there are some hard conversations to have on the one hand, right. uh, sleepless nights on the other, because you are trading off, uh, I suppose, um, a lower margin with higher volume for a higher margin with lower volume, at least at the outset. Um you know, it's kind of kind of a scary sort totally. of switch to, to to flick, as it were. Um, talk talk about that transition and the creating of the new website, which is spectacular, by the way, Thank which, you. which I really think we, I'd love to talk about later. Yeah. Talk about flicking that switch, if you could. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are some things that, first of all, it's an amazing time right now. Like our site is built off of Shopify, which has, you know, enabled us, which is on, we're on the bigger end of brands that use it, but on the smaller end of brands to really, you know, create something beautiful, um, somewhat customizable at an affordable rate. So we're able to do things fast, right? In the past, if you really wanted to create the kind of website that we had, it might take you six, 10 months of development, right? And it didn't, it didn't take us that long. So I feel really fortunate to have that technology part of it. Um, but you know, in the past, I think this goes for all brands, like, all you had to do was design clothes, right? Like now we have to design clothes and like run performance marketing, you know, brand marketing, e-commerce, retail stores, wholesale, and like all the backend logistics that like support that. And so, you know, that's a challenge and it required different people, new people in the organization, all of these things um, that we've, you know, built up. But I think um, what helps us too is we've you know, we've created a brand where, you know, people feel inspired and, and are willing to like come in and, and, you know, we've created a culture that's all about sort of like, let's do stuff smart and quickly. And, and so that's, you know, what's kind of enabled us to, to scale that way. And were there any surprises, negative or positive that you think of that uh, you, you can share about that transition? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think something every brand deals with is like, you know, dealing with your own customer service, right? For example, right. That seems like a simple thing. Um, but when, you know, Saks and Neiman's were the one handling it before, and now you're like, well, I really want to provide that like high touch service. Cause we get customers calling, you know, with really detailed product questions and you can't automate that right now. And especially because even if I created an algorithm to automate it, I would have to change that so frequently because my styles change so frequently. And for us, like that's the, that's the personal piece that people want. So, you know, that I think has been surprising, but, um, you know, but again, there is technology that can help us support to take care of the easy things. And then that way, like from a personal perspective, we can be there for the harder things, whether it's like in our stores or in our customer service from online. I got it. Got it. And so you launched recently something called an open showroom concept. What does, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. So we, um, so a couple of things we, we do less wholesale now because, you know, our primary business is direct and mm -hmm. we had uh, a beautiful, you know, showroom in the West Village, but it was very private and, and shut off from the world. And we're like, why, why do we have this? Like, what purpose is it showing? And, and more and more, what I think customers really, you know, are silently demanding from brands is transparency. And, and that comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. And for us, you know, it's the ability to see that, we have a unique thing. Like our founder is an actual designer, right? Like she's not even a tastemaker. Like she is at the technical cutting table, designer, a yeah. technical designer. And it's so cool for both our, both our, you know, wholesale customers, but then our regular, you know, everyday customers to be able to come in and shop and, and, you know, see something that was on the runway yesterday, see the physical product, but then also be able to buy stuff that's available, you know, kind of look beyond that and see our design table and like, and just feel like they're proud of the process. 
Um, and also for us, I think our, you know, it benefits us because our people think sometimes we're like part of a big conglomerate, right? But we're a small independent company. Mm -hmm. And I think people really want to, you know, help and support, especially like women, women owned and founded businesses. And, and that's, um, you know, been a great part of telling that story. So one of the things we talk about a lot, about a lot on this podcast is the importance of a cross-functional company. Uh, therefore, when you have a designer who is the founder and a fearless CEO sitting in front of me right now, yeah. um, but you're a digital or let's say a, a direct-to-consumer focused business, um, are you seeing, even though I know it's still relatively early days, a few years into this digital transformation, but are you seeing any data or any elements that are jumping off to you, the CEO, which are actually hitting the design room uh, much quicker than they may have otherwise. Is Cynthia saying, wow, I would never have done that before. Is there some stories you could? Yes, a hundred percent. I think, um, you know, what's great is we don't have to wait for selling data. We literally get it live. You know, we just came I, earlier today. We had our selling meeting. We go over, you know, what's working, what's not. Um, and that helps us, you know, I think, a, I think a lot of brands now think of, um, using that data to chase things, but we've tried to think of that in a different way for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, um, on the moving forward point. So if I was just looking at historical data, say I was like looking at last summer and it's like, see what sold really well. You know, I might see like a glitzer, glitzy, more glamoury dress and be like, oh, well, I should definitely produce something like that for, for this summer. But like, let's give the context of like, this virus going around and people being probably a bit more conservative. And so we're like, all right, let's take that selling data, but then make things that are more like what we're calling staycation appropriate and, and local, you know, uh, you know, for, for kind of being around your own town. And so, you know, it's, it's taking that data, but then also using what's, um, uh, you know, going on in the world, I think is um, super important for us. To make uh, and, when you, and when you think of, of Cynthia and maybe she's given you anecdotes of when she, the way she used to think of marketing her brand yeah. then and, mm -hmm. and how she does it today with you. Um, does, do you feel there's new things coming out of, does she say there are new things coming I out think, of her head on the marketing side that, that yeah. are also to do with the I digital think it, it inspires her because she gets that information. It's not just coming like telephone through like third party. The other great thing about our shoppable showroom is like, we're dealing with customers directly sometimes. And like, that's the fun part of like really getting feedback from them on like, you know, they're seeing the collection before it even comes out. And, and honestly, sometimes that helps us make decisions about what to produce and what not to produce. Um, the other thing that we've learned through this whole, like, you know, production for data and digital side is, which I think is interesting is again, instead of trying to chase, you know, do small production runs and just chase styles that, that work well, like, you know, today's consumer is blasted with a million messages. She sees a lot of things on Instagram. And what we've noticed works best is if we take a style or a silhouette that's doing well and, you know, change parts of it, right? So we'll change the the print, the color, what have you, like maybe some of the detailing. And so it's still very new and fresh. And like, and that way we, um, you know, we're aligning both the product with the way it's, you know, being served to customers. So like, you know, even the best performing digital ads out there, like probably perform well for three weeks. And so that way we're not trying to use the same asset for, you know, two months and having the product sort of align with that. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated 
consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. So when it comes to structure, let's talk about, let's get into the the, the business arithmetic a little bit of switching to this model. If, yeah. you, if you look at the digital native universe, there's a whole bunch of brands. I think we actually talked about this the other day, yeah. whereby you or they uh, say, look, we're going to re-engineer the markup structure because there is no middleman and hey consumer we're going to give you all the all the all the margin which means you're getting our product our amazing product for less then mm-hmm. there's a whole other set of, of brands i would say the more recently created which are creating incredibly good quality products that's prices that are not too dissimilar from where they might be priced at you know in, in retail land mm-hmm. uh, but what they're committing to is just having incredible product yes. um which one do you favor? Do you, what do you think about either? I think we do more of the latter where we create like, look, you're paying for incredible design and incredible quality. And that's what's most important. Um, but we're also, you know, we do when we look at some of our, you know, competitors like, um, you know, of the world, Ula Johnson, like she, she sells very expensive, like our same dress might be $5.95 and hers is $7.95 or what have you. So we think there's real value there. And I, you know, it's not because we're trying to be a value play. We're not like, Ooh, like I'm going to take a great idea and just make it like slightly more margin positive for, you know, for everyone involved and cut out middlemen and what have you. Um, it's more about like, okay, what, what, what can our business support and what's the what's the product worth? Because I think for us, it also enables us that that's what enables us to connect to multiple generations. Right. So for some people, our our items might be a drop in the bucket mm-hmm. and for others, it's a real investment. Um, but, you know, we're kind of uh, somewhere in the middle. I mm-hmm. So switching to sort of the plumbing of, of brand of marketing, mm-hmm. um, if you were to assign human sort of personality traits to the Cynthia Riley brand itself. Yeah. Um, I often think of when, when people say, you know, do you know such and such a brand? And, you know, I say they close your eyes and what, what, what are the first things you see? Um, oftentimes a place is also associated, mm-hmm. uh, a physical geographical place, not yeah. just uh, human personality traits. Um, maybe what could you describe uh, put some words to it for me yeah i mean i think fun and adventure um are some of the biggest words we think about and and obviously beach and and summer we always get um but what we're you know what we're designing for is sort of seasonless is like we like to call you know we're designing for a global customer whether she lives in australia or new york city and um you know, I think that's why we show we show coats the same time we're showing wetsuits. And that's that sort of economy, because really the customer, even if she lives in one place, like she's yeah, going she's everywhere. Go, yeah, she's all over the place. And then like it's this spirit of like funness and freedom in what is still like very appropriate clothing for a lot of different events. Right. So it's, it's all about that um, capturing that attitude, um, whether it's, you know, a pretty dress or, or a surf suit or, or what have you. Um, and so, you know, I would say those are the kind of tenants and, and we even take that into more of our experiential marketing. So for example, like, um, in February, February, we showed at spring studios, um, which is sort of the 
more, you know, not trying to offend anyone, but more sterile fashion show environment. So what do we do? We're like, we can't, this is, doesn't represent our brand. So we had the models, like some of them staked out in the crowd and jumping out of the crowd and getting onto the runway. And we're like, that's us. Like, that's like that unexpected, fun sort of atmosphere. Like it's like we're creating a party wherever we go. And that's what we want to like have, you know, customers feel every, you know, about us. And so the, um, the, the, and what about a place? Is it a New York brand? Is it a Montauk brand? Is it neither? Is that not really, does that not feature? Yeah. Uh, it's funny because some people be like, Oh, I thought you were based in LA and, and, you know, and then some other people are like, no, you're synonymous with Montauk. Cause we're not in Montauk to be trendy. Like we're in Montauk because that's where she's been, from. Or that's where she has a place. Yeah, we've been in Montauk. And so, you know, I think we like to think of ourselves obviously um as being connected to those places, but not being, you know, uh beholden to those places. So we've spoken a lot on this podcast about influencers. Um I had Faith Cates uh, from Next Models on here at the beginning of this journey. Um and um she, it's just, it's hap- it's moving so quickly. Um, everything to do with uh, influences of all shapes and sizes, um, you know, whether they be mega celebrities or creators on YouTube or very regional, maybe surfer um, mm-hmm. enthusiasts, whatever it may be. But um, what do you make of the collaborations and marketing partners uh, using influencers? How do you see that, particularly as you made the transition to a digital brand? Because you could track it more easily too, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, look, it's important. Like you're, you're basically take influencers have always existed. Like, let's be honest. Like they were, they were just less of them because it was harder to get into media. Right. So, you know, it was always celebrities and what have you. And now we have sort of more lay people that are connecting with customers. Um, and you know, we've done this, I think it's a big opportunity, but I think for as a brand, you have to be smart about how, at least me as the business side leader of the brand, you have to be smart about it. So like something we started, um, uh, is our Cynthia rally surf camp. So we take out, um, women to, uh, well, we've done in Montauk, but we're in, we're traveling to other places as well. Take out about 30 influencers, um, give them an amazing experience, teach them how to surf, have a great dinner. And, you know, Cynthia's there. It's, it's a really fun, intimate thing. But from my, from a business perspective side, I'm like, this is also amazing. Cause it gives me a way to work with a bunch of people all at once. And then say like, you know, whose content and audience, you know, works better for us. And then after that, we sort of like double down on those people and then, you know, don't worry about the other ones much. Cause I think where brands get into trouble is they pay, a ton of money for one post and then it doesn't perform and they're like what do i do now <laughs> yeah no what about causes cause marketing do you guys do that yeah so causes are super important for us i would say the the two main are our sustainability especially as it relates to um to the water and the ocean um again you know it's we look we'd love to do more but i think we think about what's 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 most connected to our brand and that's one of them and then the other is women's empowerment and sort of giving women that um again inspiration to um lead their best lives try new things all of that so we you know we partnered with care and organization for international women's day for, uh, for sustainability, all of our surf suits, uh, or all of our wetsuits and neoprene is, you know, made sustainably using green technology, um, minimal amounts of water, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, we'll do things from a higher level partnering with, um, you know, big, uh, world ocean, you know, big organizations for world oceans day, as well as like 
on the community level, like doing a beach cleanup in our Montauk store. And so, you know, that's our way of, 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 um, you know, hitting it at both ends and really contributing. How, how many stores do you have? We have eight stores. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, do you feel that's con- going to be a continuation? I mean, are you seeing that thrive for you? I, I often tell the, the, the joke about, uh, about um, you'd think that uh, rent was invented in Silicon Valley these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. But how, how is that? Um, how is that going for you? Retail, which is actually you know relatively unfashionable these days, which I yeah. disagree with completely. Totally. But, uh, how's it going? No, it's been going well. So you know, again, as the business person behind this, um, look, it's always fun and sexy to have stores, but we wanted to not fail where other brands have failed in the past, and where I think that is is, you know, thinking, oh, this is a great location, you know, I have data on it. I'm going to sign a 10 year lease and, and open a store. And you just never know. You could be on the wrong corner of, of Madison or wherever you are. And even if on paper, everything looked good, you just don't know how it's going to perform. So our strategy in retail has been like, let's be smart about it from a capital perspective, but it is important for like, we still make physical product, right? And people love to, you know, see and touch and feel. And for us, like our brand spirit, like I think we do a very good job communicating it on the website, but like guess best gets communicated like in the store through events and through that like personal interaction. And so, you know, we launched what we call nomadic retail. So that meant that we opened stores and kept them open from anywhere from six to 24 months um, where, you know, we really got to like have a presence in the community uh, and, and also, you know, acquire customers and test if it's, you know, something that works from us from a business perspective going forward. Um, and where that has, you know, we're, you know, all our stores are profitable and we're super proud of that. Um, and where it hasn't, you know, we've, or hasn't been quite as good as we wanted to, we've just kind of moved and tried a new location. And so I think it's that flexibility. More nimble. Yes, exactly. And so where do you, where do you think this can go? What, what is the, the plan, what would you like to see flourish over the next few years? There's lots of people that listen to this podcast who are in all different areas of our industry who yeah. who may, um, this may ring bells to them and be willing to help or be, be part of the ride as it were. Yeah, um, <laughs> tell me, tell, tell us all where, where you're going. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I feel like we've only, uh, you know, just started to scratch the surface on what we can do on an e-commerce and digital perspective. Like we're not spending money like, um, you know, like the outdoor voices of the world. It's very, very conservative. Um, and we have a good mix of, you know, paid and organic. And so, you know, within, um, digital alone, I think we can, you know, grow the business quite significantly and, and supporting that through what we have, you know, from an omni-channel and, and just delivery perspective as well. But, um, you know, where I think where I really envision the brand and, you know, Cynthia envisions the brand is being, uh, known more globally, like for, like she she already has a global name, but like being known more globally, especially as it relates to this, like sort of, um, we always call it pretty meets sporty or the perfect combination of pretty and sporty. Um, and I think that's super relevant now with what's, you know, again, customers traveling more, um, spending more on experiences and what have you and, and what we do in the surf and swim business. And so, um, and people are trying to copy us for sure, but like, you know, what success looks for us is looks like for us is to be that global name and like designer performance wear, whether that, you know, be in a multitude of categories. Um, and so we're excited about, you know, pursuing that journey. So when, um, once upon a time, um, 
brands used to really be just about stuff, product. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there was a really good story behind it. And then you know, many great brands have emerged from those the storytelling. Um, do you think today brands and retail have a new and, and, and maybe more important um, place in the lives of their customers? Um, I, I often talk about sort of a spiritual side to, yes. you know, giving your dollars to people who, you know, who you feel proud of giving your dollars to. And we, we've done some studies on that here at Traub. But um, the next 10 years, do you see retail and branded goods as sort of being more educational, mm-hmm. more uh, spiritual, more uh, socially conscious, and, and, and not just for marketing purposes, but as part of, you know, the integrity of, of a brand? It's part of what you're buying, right? So I think there's there's a bifurcation. It's going to be the high-low um, strategy, right? You're, you're willing to, you know, buy your sort of stable products off of Amazon, and you don't necessarily really care, you know, as much where they come from or what the brand story behind it, because it's very functional. But for non-functional products, especially for products that are supposed to be, like, inspiring you, and I think fashion is very much that, um, of that case, yeah, it matters because people have... Um, you know, they have more information at their fingertips and, and, uh, and why wouldn't you buy from, if you have the option and the knowledge, why wouldn't you buy from a brand that you feel like is like almost like your extended friend or, or your inspiration, um, you know, when you like, when you have that option. And so it's our ability, you know, I I think great clothes will sell themselves, right? Like people like want to wear things that look good on them, but where we really stand out and get the repeat customers that we want um, is through that like brand storytelling. So we've already gone over, which is crazy because that's gone very quick. (laughs) Um, But so I wanted, I always like to end with um, asking my guests to talk a little bit about sort of other brands that they're interested in or following or, yeah. or use and like in any category, uh, maybe about a cause that they follow or passionate about, uh, maybe even a book they're reading, could be, mm-hmm. even be a Netflix series, whatever, just to talk a little personally about some of the things that you're right now sort of a top of mind for you. Yeah. Um, well, I guess from a, from a brand perspective, like what we are trying to look towards is um, other brands that have built really great authentic communities and how they've done that. Um, you know, obviously I think Glossier is a great example of that, but I think it always comes up. Yeah, I know it's, it's the standard, but it's, but, good. But You're it's right. cool. Um, we had, a, we had, we had, uh, two 16 year olds and two 11 year olds in here to do a Gen Z podcast last huh. week. Glossier was, you know, it's the only thing they had in their bag. The, place, yeah. <laughs> the two 11 year olds had no idea what it was. They're like, what is that? Is that makeup? Anyway, really? Okay. Glossier First purchase. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also think other brands like, like third love has done a really good job of like, you know, they, they just create, you know, they have, you know, nice fitting, uh, undergarments, but they've really created this like bigger community and movement around what that means for, for women. And again, when you have your dollars, like, I think that that's a very inspiring place to look and, and, uh, you know, see how we can do that in our own different authentic way. And you, do you have any time at all to watch shows or, or, or read books? Um, I do, I do some, I do a lot of audiobooks. Actually. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're good, but I mean, on a nonfiction basis, the fiction is a little bit harder to, to do, um, from that standpoint. Um, and then, you know, I'm not, I'm not as big of a TV watcher, but like we've been watching, I'm almost like embarrassed to say what I've been watching. <laughs> That's why this, we asked this question. It's great. Yeah. What are you watching? Uh, love is blind. Have yeah. you seen that? I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> but so you got to stay gonna, connected with the yes, customer. You do. So. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, I thank you so much for doing the safari with me. Thank you so much for having me.
you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.